to It's a Musical podcast, the show where I force my boyfriend to watch musicals and we talk about them. I am the boyfriend. And I'm Drew. <laughs> Is that how you're introducing yourself today? Yes, that's how I'm introducing myself okay, today. Cool. Yes. So, this episode we are talking about the 25th anniversary special of Phantom of the Opera. Dun, 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 dun. That's literally all you know about this, isn't it? <laughs> no, I've got, I've got like a page of notes. It's it's a fairly iconic musical. You'll understand that when you've seen it. Um, yes. That was my wonder. I know the overture. That's, that's it. Okay, cool. So um, the reason we're talking about the 25th anniversary special and not the film or specifically the stage show is because... The YouTube channel, which is a mix of Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber and Universal Studios, are showing a musical written by Andrew Lloyd Webber every week because of the quarantine. So um, this, as of today, Friday, um, they are showing Phantom of the Opera, the 25th anniversary special one. So that's the one we have access to. So that's the one we're going to talk about. And Phantom was on your list anyway. It made sense mm-hmm. to kind of tackle it now as yeah. it's on. Um, and I know what I do know about Phantom is that it is up there as one of, if not your favourite musical. Yeah, I think it is my favourite musical. So kind of high stakes here for the relationship on this one. A little bit. I don't think I got into Phantom until I was like... 22, 23, which is not that long ago. Um, but I, the first time I went to see it, I just thought it was the best thing ever and had such a good time because I love horror movies and in my head, Phantom of the Opera is a horror movie. Well, that's literally what my very first thing I've written is it's a musical horror. Yeah, I think so. I'm sure a lot of people would disagree with me on that because it is billed as a romance. Yeah. And I don't think it is at all. Which will be an interesting take. Mm-hmm. So, what did you see first? The production? The film? I saw the stage show. So you actually went and you saw it at the theatre? Yeah. I, so I saw it in London with um, the London cast at the time. I can't remember exactly what year it was, so I can't tell you who was in it. Um, and then I saw the film. And then I went back and saw the stage show, and then I found out that there was this 25th anniversary special version, um, and that got released a while ago now. So the fact that I hadn't watched it and hadn't heard of it is quite strange. Yeah. So, the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, it's written by him, Charles Hart, and Richard Stilgo. It's based on the novel the Le Phantom d'Opera by Gaston LaRue, which was not in print when this show was written. Oh, wow, that's the really interesting. The book was out of print. So uh, he, in 1984, Andrew Lloyd Webber approached Cameron McIntosh because they'd previously worked together. Yeah. Um, he wanted to write a romantic musical because he felt that he hadn't done that before. So they watched the old movie versions of Phantom of the Opera, which are horror movies. They're like B-horror movies. And they could not see a way to make it into a stage show. They couldn't see how it would have been. Who's this, Andrew Lloyd Webber or Macintosh? Yeah, the two of them. And then Andrew Andrew Lloyd Webber was in New York and he found a copy of the book and he read it and that gave him the inspiration to turn it into a musical. 
you know, my my knowledge of this comes mostly because it is something that has been heavily parodied. Hmm. You know, I have seen Phantom of the Opera in American Dad. There's a whole episode yeah, where Roger say. takes over the telethon mm-hmm. and he has the overture, he's dressing like the Phantom, mm-hmm. and essentially, like, that must be the plot in half an hour. I guess, you sure. Know, um, I know that there's bits in Family Guy. Mm-hmm. I'm sure The Simpsons are parodied it somehow. Probably. I know, you know, I know what I know about this, partly because... It's relevant to pop culture. Yeah. Um, which um, is why I am excited to watch this one, because I know it's a big deal. And you like Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals. I like School of Rock. You like School of Rock. You liked the music of Cats. Did I? You did. You said you did. Did <laughs> I? watched it. You lied to me. <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> you liked some of the music in Joseph. I liked some of the music in Joseph, but Joseph wasn't impressive. Okay. Um, well, there's quite a lot of Andrew Lloyd Webber on my list, so... Well, but Andrew Lloyd Webber is very important to musical yeah. theatre. You know, different tastes, whatever. His name is a big deal, and he's worked on his shows for so long. Mm-hmm. Whether you like them or not, you can't help but appreciate them. Yeah. And... Yeah, I liked elements of Cats and I liked elements of Joseph. I do appreciate them. But I don't know if Andrew Lloyd Webber is always my go-to. Okay. Um, So this Phantom of the Opera opened in London in 1986 and opened on Broadway in 1988, just in time for Tony season. And was it more successful than Joseph? Yes. So much more successful what has Andrew Lloyd Webber done up to this point? So, up to this <clears throat> point, he had already written ten shows. Okay. So, and worked with Cameron McIntosh and a bunch of other people. So he'd written The Likes of Us, Joseph, Jesus Christ Superstar, By Jeeves, Evita, Tell Me on Sunday, Cats, Song and Dance, Starlight Express, and Cricket, which I've never heard of. And then he wrote Phantom of the Opera. So was Evita his first really big one, or would Jesus Christ Superstar have been bigger? I don't know Jesus Christ Superstar well enough to make a guess at that, but I probably... We'll save it for the Jesus Christ Superstar episode. When we get to that eventually. <laughs> yeah, I I think on from that list, Evita is probably the biggest one, considering it's still rerun and re, revisited and today. Yeah. So he's coming off a very successful CV. Yeah. You know, this is the sort of time in his career where it's an event. Maybe mm-hmm. he's more like a Steven Spielberg at this point, where his name being attached to something holds more gravitas. Yeah. So, do you want me to tell you what it won at the Tonys? The the stage show, before we talk about the one that we're going to watch. I would guess it probably won Best New Musical. Yep. That's the, at the Olivier's, it won Best New Musical. Okay, not at the Tonys. Uh-uh. Um, best Set Design? Yep. I know that there's a very... I know that there's a very big moment at the end of Act 1. And I know that there are certain seats that are more expensive. Yes, for that reason. For that reason. Has that always happened? We will talk about that when we talk about the changes that they made. Okay, fair. Because I was going to say, that that wouldn't surprise me at all for like set design staging, to have that moment be a big deal. Yeah, Um, and I think they deserve it for that. So it won 
uh, the Olivier's in 1986, it won Best New Musical and Best Actor in a Musical. Yeah. And that was it. Okay. And then it went to Broadway, and it won Best Musical, Best Performance by an Actor, Best Performance by a Featured Actress, because at the time they didn't have leading actress, yeah. even though arguably the main character of this musical is a woman. Best Direction, Best Scenic Design, Best Costume Design, and Best Lighting. Interesting. So it was a very, very big deal. Yeah. It was a big deal. It was a kind of a sweepstake for that year, was if you were up against Phantom, you probably weren't going to win. Yeah. Interesting so, that it didn't win Best Book or Best Score. Did Andrew Lloyd Webber just write the music? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the lyrics and the book were written by... Uh, Charles Hart and Richard Stilwell. Because I do think that's the thing, is Andrew Lloyd Webber is more a name yeah. than anything else. And I feel, from from my limited knowledge, I know that he <clears> does hard work. I'm not disputing that. Yeah. But from what I'm aware, there's a lot of other occasions where he doesn't do... He's not solely responsible for something. So with School of Rock, he maybe just wrote the lyrics. I can't remember the specifics. I doubt it. But he... he he maybe just produced it or he maybe just wrote the music, but that was it. And then there's a whole lot more that goes along backside, but it's Andrew Lloyd Webber's production. Yeah. You don't always hear the other people's names attached to it. You know Phantom of the Opera because it's an Andrew Lloyd Webber. <clears throat> yeah. Which is interesting. That's true. It is the longest running show in Broadway history. And something I do know about it is that it's got a sequel. Which yes. is Love Never Dies. <laughs> it does. Now... I didn't know whether you were going to know that or not. Yeah, no, I do. And what I was going to say, so I know that, you know, for instance, Shakespeare had sequels because he had Henry the Fourth Part 1 and Part 2. Sure. I can't think of any musical sequels other than Mom Love Mia. Never Dies. But that That's doesn't count. Yeah. I mean, stage, the shows. stage shows. I've actually put here Mamma Mia 2 written for film, not stage, so it doesn't yeah. count. Are there any other musicals that have had such an impact that a sequel has been produced not that I can think of off the top of my head but the other thing about that that show says to me that the Phantom doesn't die at the end um, and I don't want to know because I'm going to watch it but if, if the sequel is Love Never Dies yeah. how can there be a sequel because I always assumed the Phantom died at the end he's the villain, he's the monster so as somebody that loves Phantom of the Opera uh, like wholeheartedly, I think it's a great show. I hate Love Never Dies, but it, it does. It's not still going good. on. It's not. You can't go see it. Yeah. And there's been no talk about producing it as a film. No, thank God. Love Never Dies came out. 2010. 2010, and the film with Gerard Butler was about 2004. It was 2004. Yeah. Um, can't use Gerard Butler again. Well, no, but th this is what I mean. Is so that surely. There must have, you know, the, around that time, they know he's producing a sequel. Yeah. Would there not have ever been thought, talk, you know, talks about he that? Wrote, he didn't write Love Never Dies until after the film. But, you know, you, it's interesting that they've already got this cast and they could think, bring them back. Maybe. Because obviously so Gerald, issue... Gerald Butler became famous for this one. This is the one where he, you know, kicks someone into the orchestra pit shouting, This is opera! Yeah, if you say so. Is that not um, the one? I'm just ignoring that joke. <laughs> I thought it was a good joke, to be <laughs> no, honest. Lame. Um, um, so, Love Never Dies... But Gerald Butler plays the Phantom. 
Gerard Butler plays the Phantom, yes. Oh, I thought it was Gerald. Okay, Gerard <laughs> Butler is the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. I actually wrote Gerald, and I thought... Gerald Butler. <laughs> um, he does play the Phantom, yes. Love Never Dies is set, supposedly, ten years after Phantom ends. Well, the more reason to Phantom is set in 1881. Yeah. And Love Never Dies is set in 1907. I don't know about you, but I know my my math isn't great. So, so Phantom is 1881. Yeah. 1907. It's 26 years. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And they say in Love Never Dies, it's been 10 years. Um, It's been 10 years since you looked at me. Yeah, because that's the sort of jaunty musical we're going for. Um, (laughs) Is Love Never Dies a jukebox musical? Oh, my God. That would be (laughs) infinitely better. Have you seen it? Yeah. I didn't like it. Uh, Okay, so it's not a worthy successor. I don't like it because it undoes a lot of stuff from Phantom. That obviously I can't tell you because I don't want to spoil no, it yet, but it upsets me. Okay, greatly. fair. Well, so this is the thing: is I always assumed the Phantom died, but maybe not. But maybe if they're retconning things, they change a lot of okay. stuff. That's so interesting. That's all about the stage show. We are watching the twenty-fifth anniversary performance. So to mark the anniversary of Phantom of the Opera. Andrew Lloyd Webber and Karen McIntosh planned a three-night, like, spectacular show. So this 25th anniversary is 2007. Okay. So it's three years after the film. Now, the other night we watched on Disney+, Plus the anniversary edition of Little Mermaid. Yeah. Which, which is awesome. Which is great. Which yeah. is awesome. Is this the same one that you have the film and then it comes to life? No. Ah, oh, that would have been really exciting. Mostly because the film is widely renowned for not being good. Ah. Because you've seen bits of the film, right? I remember when it was launched. I, yeah. You know, I was 14 when it came out. <laughs> no interest in it whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I went with some friends to go see it at the cinema. Yeah. And we left about 10 minutes in our boredom. All right, okay. <clears throat> I can understand that. It's not exactly like... I was going to say it's not the teenage boy musical, however. I think I was like third wheeling a date as well. So. Oh, okay, yeah, fair. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's one that I know I've I mean, I've walked in, so there's been times where I've been around yours, um, and it was on TV. There was a mm. song about um, there's like a really uptight ex star who comes in and she's all jealous that the new person's come in, the one that the Phantom likes has come in. Mm-hmm. And there's a song which is all designed to play to her. Prima Donna, yeah. yeah. So I, I love that song. I know that. And I, I'd say the whole so that you know, the, the themes of this are love and jealousy. Yeah. Um but also so there's a love of the Phantom towards I want to say um I'm not gonna <sighs> correct you whatever you say. <laughs> Um, uh, Clarice, but that's Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, it is. So he <laughs> has that line, sing yeah. for me, Clarice. Yeah. And I was like, it can't be Clarice, but he has to sing for me. So he's in love with her. Yeah. And this new opera star is kind of the centre of all this ire from the people who've come and been before that time, this prima donna character. Yeah. So there's that jealousy. But is there also jealousy or fear from the Phantom? So the Phantom used to be a star, 
and there was some kind of accident that left him assumed for dead but actually maimed and disfigured so he harbors a grudge towards the producers for kind of moving on past him so there's also that jealousy there that the show must go on Mm -hmm. i don't know um i'm enjoying your version of it so far yeah Um, so you know you know the end of act one which is the the chandelier the chandelier why does that happen the phantoms invaded a show and he's trying to kill someone or, or end, end this show. Mm. This big show on the first night. It must be New Sensation's first night. No, because he wouldn't want to ruin that for her. So maybe Prima Donna's come back and he's sabotaging Prima Donna. Mm. I'm not getting really trying not to say anything. No, no. So, so yeah, he's sabotaging Prima Donna because he wants New Sensation Celine back. I've changed Celine. her name. It's now Celine. <laughs> what from, was it before? Uh, Clarice to Celine. I'm, I'm, I'm confusing Science of Lambs with Moulin Rouge, which would be an awesome crossover. Her name isn't Celine in Moulin Rouge. It's Satine. Who's Celine then? I don't know. Dion. Celine Dion. <laughs> Celine Dion on stage singing to the Phantom. Mm-hmm. My heart will go on as yep. he sings. Dun, 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 dun. Basically. Um, I know he's got underground lair that's accessible by boat. Yeah. And she's all virginal in her white robes. I was going to say Italy because of opera, but because it's Le Phantom du Opera, is it Paris? Yes, it is. I assumed Italy because opera's Mm -hmm. predominantly Italian. Well, that's the the underground boat thing, I think, is a not Paris thing. But who's to say? But she's passed out as he sings to her through, like, this foggy river. Sure. I don't know. But this is it, so... He's in love with her, but sometimes the way he is in love with her is a bit too forceful and not necessarily reciprocated. See, that's the question. Is he in love with her? Or is he in love with her voice? Yeah. Or the idea of her. Yeah. I, you know, this is it. I, I know elements of that. Um, I couldn't tell you any other songs other than the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun or yep. sing for me. Yeah. Is it all opera or is there any kind of jazzy poppy bits? So it is, it's satirical opera in that all of the songs are sung as if they're being sung in an opera. Yeah. But then... Is there a fat lady? Yeah, there is. It's like light opera. So it's accessible to the audience and you can understand what they're saying and they're singing in English. Yeah. Um, But there are parts of the show that are people singing actual opera and Andrew Lloyd Webber sort of took elements of Mozart and Puccini and put them into the show and he's been called out for that a couple of times. And it's not Joseph or Les Mis in that everything's sung there is talking. There's no talking. There's no talking so everything's sung so it's like Joseph and Les Mis. Yeah. Okay cool. Um, There's like occasional lines you know same as in Les Mis where someone will just shout something. Yeah. But so yeah that's essentially I've covered everything I know is there anything you feel I should know before we go in and watch this so the the one that we're going to watch is in the Royal Albert Hall so it's not a proper version this is the thing so they wanted it to be a spectacular and they got the Royal Albert Hall because I think if Andrew Lloyd Webber rings up and is like yo I want to put my show on I know 
that it's very prestigious to perform in the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah. You know, I know that, you know, I'm a wrestling fan. There's been a few shows where they've come over and performed, wrestled in the Royal Albert Hall, and it's a big deal. I know that there's a few of the other podcasts I listen to, Mm -hmm. they've had shows in the Royal Albert Hall, and it's a massive deal to perform there. Yeah. But when I was about 13, I got Les Mis on DVD, and I was really excited because I saw that show earlier that year. Yeah. Loved it. And I was really disappointed that the Royal Albert Hall one was not... So here's the thing. It was in concert. Yeah, this is the thing. So when it was originally... When they pitched it originally, the the team that they assembled for it um, designed it to be Fountain of the Opera in concert, like the Les Mis one. And Andrew Lloyd Webber and Cameron McIntosh were so against it being in concert because they think... They said... This will not work if you just sing the songs. For the same reason that Andrew Lloyd Webber has said many, many times, you have to go and see Phantom of the Opera. You can't just listen to the soundtrack because it won't make any sense. Which is something interesting to touch on is, is what, as you say, that is, I don't like listening to soundtracks to musicals before I see them. Yeah. Now, that's changed since I've started dating you because... I constantly... Yeah, when you're driving, it's musical playlist. Mm-hmm. But I don't listen to soundtracks before I I see them, yeah. Because I really worry that will harbour my that that will that will ruin my experience of it. I like going into something having no idea what's going to come and just being surprised in that moment. Book of Mormon was one of the best experiences of my life because I'd never heard the soundtrack before and I sit there and watching it and experiencing it for the first time. All the jokes, all the yeah. Had I listened to the soundtrack before and the second time I saw it. It wasn't as fun. Mm. I still loved it, but it wasn't as fun because I was waiting for these moments. Yeah. And I can imagine... You've made me listen to a lot of Hamilton when I finally see Hamilton. You have listened to maybe three songs from Hamilton. Yeah, but I still think it won't. I won't experience Hamilton the way I wanted to. Yeah. So it's nice that Andrew Lloyd Webber's got my back on this one. Okay. But I, 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 I agree that. with him on this, is that because Phantom is... So just Phantom or... Just Phantom. Okay. I agree with him because a lot of the context in Phantom is the setting and you understand the changes in tone and time and there's like a couple of jumps from scene to scene and you have to understand that time's passed. Which, if you're listening to it, doesn't, doesn't make across. any sense at all. Um. Yeah, so they designed it to be like the Les Mis concert. Andrew Lloyd Webber and Cameron McIntosh straight up were like, no, we're not doing a concert. We're going to do the whole show just on the stage, which then meant, how do we do the chandelier in yeah. the Royal Albert Hall? Well, yeah, how do you do a lot of the staging for it? Yeah, and how do we set the stage up? Because when you're in the theatre for Phantom, is quite a small theatre. This was just a three-day event. Yeah. That's a lot of work that goes into three days. Uh Jeez. Yeah. But they needed things like, when you're in the theatre, you understand that you're at an opera. So there's opera boxes around the side because you're in an actual theatre. So they're setting the the world before you actually go in there, which is awesome. I love that. Yeah. Absolutely. And they had to build that into the Royal Albert Hall. But that's so cool is... I really like it that when you go in and already the the, the theatre becomes a world for you. It's mm-hmm. like when we went to Waitress, you can, you know, they, they yeah. set up so it feels like it, you know, it's not exactly like her cafe, but you have... You can feel it. You feel it. You can buy you can buy the pies, for instance. That's really awesome. Yeah. Um, but there's... And, and the same for Curious Instant, when you go in there and you just have 
the stage open to you the whole time. It's not like the curtains are pulled ready for this big reveal. Mm-hmm. You get to be part of this world already. Yeah. I really like it when theatre does that. It's good. Yeah. But this is overboard version of that. But they had to make the Royal Albert Hall into an opera hall, which is a tall order for three nights. Yeah. It was a lot of work. But it's amazing. It's so good. Has Andrew Lloyd Webber ever said or commented on like where Phantom stands in his opinion for his work. Like I'd love to know. By the sounds of it, Phantom must be one of his favourites. So Especially if he revisited Phantom. A couple of times. Yeah, um, with a sequel as well. Yeah. This is the thing, right? Around the time that Phantom came out, Andrew Lloyd Webber had just married his wife, who is very young. And was a good singer. So does he view himself as the phantom? It's self-insert, yeah. He's the phantom and, and his wife is this um, new upstart that he's yeah, obsessed with. It's, it's Satine. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and there's a lot of commentary that people have made on it about the parallels between his real-life relationship with his wife. And Are they still together? I don't know. I'm not that invested in Andrew I just, Webber's real yeah, I just life. wondered, like, maybe did they have, like, a big bust-up and he wrote Love Never Dies God. to be like, I still love you. Like, was that, like, the only reason it exists know. was because, like, he's just trying to prove a point. I actively don't know very much about Love Never Dies because I saw it and was like, no. Is there any filmed performances where I'm going to be saved Love Never Dies? Mm, there are filmed performances, but not legally. Well, which is it? And that's something that we'll only ever yeah, do. Yeah, we're trying it? to avoid bootlegs. Well, we're not trying to. We are avoiding yeah. bootlegs. But there's no official version of Love Never Dies, so I am not saved that knowledge. misery. Yeah. Cool. Thank goodness. It's very weird. But fortunately, we're watching Fountain instead. Okay, so... Which is infinitely better. Yes. On with the show. Yeah, and we'll be back once we've seen it. The phantom of the opera is there inside your mind. Well, we are past the point of no return and back from watching Phantom of the Opera. We sure are. It's been a very long night. It has been a very long night. It's a long, old musical. But what did you... I thought you said it was all sung. There was a lot of talking in that. Like, the very first bit we see is people talking to each other. Yeah, there's, so there's the prologue, which is, isn't is sung. But the prologue is there for no discernible reason. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's no... I, I love a non-linear narrative. Yeah, I if it's used again if it's used if it's used look at blood brothers blood brothers is so fantastic because i'm gripped the whole time i want to know what has happened to the johnson twins yeah who was the old man who bought that monkey (laughs) wow really yeah that didn't make sense no it doesn't make sense it makes no sense whatsoever correct um it's like the opera house had burned down or something yeah the opera house is destroyed but it hasn't been destroyed at the end of the play. No. So, yeah, it, I was really excited when it started that way. And I turned to you and said, is this the end of the play? And you're like, yeah. I was like, oh, cool. Like, I might see how it ends this way. And then at the end, I was just like... No, and it doesn't. Huh. We never jumped again. No. We, you know, well, this fine. is the thing. This is where the issue... Because we were talking before about Love Never Dies. 
the issue with Love Never Dies is that the monkey's in it again, and... Oh, really? Raoul is in it with Christine, and... But he's got the monkey, they but sort someone of, else has this monkey. They sort of break up. Yeah, so Love, love Does Dies. And it's all a very complicated love triangle. But for him to be back after Christine's dead, because that's what's happening in the prologue, Christine is dead. Yeah. For him to be back in the, the old uh, opera populaire, buying this monkey that has no significance to him. Or to the opera house. No, it's significant only to the Phantom. Yeah, it's a very weird thing. Because it's not like the Phantom lived in the opera house. He did. He lived underneath the opera house. But I thought he, they said he had to sail down like the river to get to him. No, the river's underneath the opera house. Oh, okay. But fine, they, that's how they found it. Okay. Right. I was paying attention. It's very long. It's, it's complicated. Yeah, it's complicated. Um, I mean, that's just off. The costume and the sets are just amazing. It's phenomenal. They and are so beautiful. It's so gorgeous. Um, I love... It's lot 666 for the um, chandelier. Like, yep. that's just silly. I'm here for that. And do you know what? I really love that there's a high probability the audience would have come in and seen all of that. Yeah. Seen this stage in, in disrepair. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Like I said earlier, I love it when you're buying into a world the second you come in. And I can imagine going into the Royal Abbot Hall, seeing the chandelier like that and seeing everything there, just thinking, oh, wow, this is the world of the Phantom of the Opera. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And then you start off with the big one. Literally bah, 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 bah. straight in. <laughs> I love a synthesizer. Yeah. And you go straight into the big one. Every, electric guitar. You know what you're there for. Yeah. And it's good. Um, so yeah, we're ten minutes in. Uh huh. It's the film over. You're this joke. Oh my god. Because <laughs> that lady's singing. Uh. Well, that was the shortest episode we've ever done. I literally turned to you. As Carlotta comes onto the stage, I literally turned around and said, please don't make a joke about it being over because the fat lady is singing. And I knew it was going to happen. Do you know, I liked Carlotta. And She's funny. I couldn't help but think, if they ever do remake this mm. in, a, in 2020, 2021, Rebel Wilson would be perfect no thank you do you not think first of all she can't sing well okay who the a better person would be keila settle yeah who's actually a good singer yeah no i agreed but like i just thought there are times with the mannerism she's got very rebel wilson she'd sing in cats that's not not the best barometer but um (laughs) i love it you go straight into this opening number and i'm so predispositioned to think that this is just them doing musical theater Mm-hmm. And it's a rehearsal scene, and that's brilliant. That you know your director comes on, and he stops and goes, "Nope, stop, start again. It's not right." Yeah, I love it. It's I a honestly, good introduction to the world. Exactly, and it's very world building because I'm so used to seeing musicals and everything comes together brilliantly, and I love that. Yeah, this is actors rehearsing, and I think they do a really good job at the exposition, like at the start, establishing the world we live in, who the key players are. Mm-hmm. You know, we're very much starting in the middle of life at this theatre. The Phantom's been there for a while. It's not like this is suddenly out of nowhere. There are stories about the Phantom of the Opera. Everyone knows about him. And the world building is fantastic. I feel like I know where I'm at. Yeah. 
So that's fantastic. And that's exactly what they're going for with that introduction. Which, so the fact that that worked is a good thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the old producer runs off very quickly before the he new producers escaped. demand a refund. Yeah. Um, and never to be seen again until the uh, curtain call at the end. I thought that's quite fun. Yeah. And there's... For something. I mean, he is in the rest of the show. He's in the ensemble. But yeah, but... He, the fact that he changes back into that into costume... Into that costume is brilliant. Uh, yeah, curtain call. I really like in a play or in a musical that is very serious in tone mm. there's some lovely comedy in this yeah and there's some really really funny moments in this in this say film who are you specific, like particularly thinking of so you've got um you have got i'm trying to remember their names you've got carlotta yeah so you've got carlotta and you've got um Piangi? Yeah, Piangi. Piangi. Carlotta and Piangi are a really good comic relief. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the producers. Yep. Are funny. Um, you've got elements with Joe, the Lord of the Flies. Yeah. Where he's designed to be funny. Joseph Bouquet, yeah. Yes, Joseph Bouquet. Um, I looked at my notes and I thought it said Joseph Bucket, and I thought, no, this isn't Charlie Bucket's great uncle from no. France. Okay. Um, he, he, they've got some really funny moments in it, mm-hmm. um, and I think they were the highlight. They, they were highlights. You know, I, I love um, the producers being conned and him just running off. I yeah, then so just leaving funny. him. Did you understand where they'd come from? To be at this point in, like, owning this theatre? Nope. Okay, I so... I just said they were rich people about town. They're new money. Okay, so they've so been not conned... they're rich people. Because they've got new money thinking, well, invest it. What do people like? Oh, I know, theatre. And this person's yeah. like, oh, I want to get rid of this turkey. Have it. Bargain price. Yeah. And they, they've been taken for a ride. So this is their last chance. Basically, all of their money is in this theatre and they've been... Com- completely conned with what they thought they were getting into because you think oh yes i'll have an opera that's lovely yeah because opera is high class yeah i do love how ironic it is this phantom has a flair for the theatrics yeah straight away you know we see he's got this theatrical instinct Hmm. he's he's in the right line of work yeah 100 percent. you know he should be the phantom of the bank no he's definitely well placed in the opera Yes. Yeah. My question is, though, this has been going on a while. Yeah. And it's something that keeps cropping up so many times. Mm-hmm. If these actresses and actors are so scared of the Phantom, why do they keep performing here? Because it's a paying acting job. And they're in Paris I mean, in I'm, the 1800s. Yes. I, I'm obviously aware it's their job and they need it. But presumably when they're getting rave reviews and they are stars, for instance, Carlotta is a star, mm-hmm. and obviously she leaves, she's funny had enough. Yeah. Why do they come back? If, you Chris- get... if Christine's become such an overnight sensation, you know, her views are there, she should now have everyone bidding for her to come perform for them. Well, Carlotta, first of all, is a nightmare. She is a prima donna. She's oh, yeah. a diva. You kind of... I, d- I don't know whether it's so much with the version that we watched, but you get the idea that she does this all the time. Oh, no, I 100% got the idea that, you know, she comes back a few days later when it's good and ready and suits yeah. her. Um, and obviously they sing at her to encourage her to come back. Mm. And you can see one of the producers, like, jabbing the other one to be like, no, you need to 
work harder to get yeah. her to come back now. But again, this staging is is just incredible. Yeah. That you have the boxes positioned above the stage. They're like looking down. Mm. Um, it, it does look like a really elegant opera house. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we kind Especially of... Especially in the Royal Albert Hall. Oh which... yeah, the Royal Albert Hall. They did a great job kitting it out. I was worried that there might be moments that looked tacky or didn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, this was for three days. Would they have cut corners? No. No. No, they did not cut corners. Not when you've got Sir Andrew and Sir Cameron... No. ...breathing down your necks to make you... But I think, yeah, the opening takes us to a good point. We establish that there's this new sensation, mm-hmm. uh, Christine... She can sing better than Carlotta. Yeah. And she effortlessly transitions into that main role. Yep. Which is a really lovely transition. Just the skirt, yeah. Yeah, and it's just lovely. She goes from kind of a shrinking violet to the star on stage. And you get this lovely applause from the audience in the Royal Albert Hall. And then this digital audience yep. either side. Yeah. Which as an actor, that must be amazing to get like a 360 kind of applause. Yeah. Um, so that's she sings Carlotta leaves and they audition Christine for her understudy yeah that costume change from her being a chorus girl to her being the lead is literally just they wrap a skirt around her and it's like a big circle skirt which is great but it's such a good way of showing you the difference between who she was before and who she is now yeah and then we meet Raoul. Who I really think looked like Edward Cullen when <laughs> I first saw him. So I didn't actually learn his name. I just called him Edward Cullen the whole time. Um, okay. So, yes, um, Edward I... Cullen. Instant, and, and it's very clear. Again, the exposition, the storytelling's great. Mm-hmm. I knew straight away that's the love rival. Um, yeah. And I think that's really well done. Quick question regarding the digital backdrop. Was this the first time it was used for this show because of the Royal Albert Hall and they needed to... Yeah, they don't use that for the stage show. They They use backdrops. So have they not thought of using it at all? Do they have any digital elements? Because you've got that brilliant bit where the Phantom later on is writing and you see the words of the note up on on the screen. Does that not... No, they don't use it. That's a shame. I really liked that and I think it's very well done and I wondered if even small bits of it have been incorporated... Not that I've seen, and I've only seen the stage show after. And there was no this. digital. There's never been any digital. Mm, that's fine. I mean, I, I thought watching it, that's definitely a um, corner being cut because of where they're at. Yeah, but, but really it works so well. well. They, it's not like they've done it as a cheap cutting corner. They've invested the money in it to make it work, and they've used it as much as they possibly can. Yeah, you know, and you can't to... really drop flies over the top of your orchestra because they're in the, this version of it, because you're in the Albert Hall, there's no um, orchestra pit, so the orchestra yeah. are above the stage, Yeah, which is great, but you then can't drop flies in front of them. Yeah, and I just think it was it was really well done. And I wondered if, if your experience seeing it live was similar. So Did we... you like Raoul? Did you find him likeable? Because this is the discussion I have whenever I talk about Phantom of the Opera is I personally don't like Ralph. I wrote it down later that they're both awful suitors for Christine. So this is kind of more a response to Act 2. Yeah. Um, obviously the Phantom is more in love with the idea of her. Yeah. You know, the, 
than actually in love with her. She is a status symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, for Edward, he's <laughs> just willing to let Carlotta slander her and blame her for everything. He doesn't yeah. stand up for her honour. He just goes on about his plan to use her as bait. Mm-hmm. He's not a good suitor. I don't... I don't. No, he's a horrible boyfriend. <laughs> and I think, again, it's, it's that kind of childhood nostalgia. They were friends growing up yep. and... You know, it's not a, it's not a case of money. He's clearly got more money than she has. Yep. She wouldn't be on the stage now. Well, know. he's their benefactor, so he's paying for everything. Yeah, and she wouldn't be on the stage had they had money. And obviously, her dad's dead. I'm assuming there's no other family because you no. don't see anything. And her father was a violinist, yeah, so, so he already doesn't have any money. Yeah, you know, but I don't. I think there's that nostalgia, like oh, we were friends growing up, and you got. But again, actually, do you know what? I think it's both men like her for her voice and the status that she presents them, Mm -hmm. that she's an accessory to them. The Phantom's in love with music. Yep. And I think Edward's... (laughs) You're going to keep calling him Edward. Yes, because I keep forgetting his name. It's so insignificant. He has no character development to him. He is a love rival. That's Mm -hmm. all he is. Yeah. That's the only purpose he serves as a character is, is to just tell her, keep going. And basically, in the final act, in the final bit of performance, present Sophie's choice for her. Yeah. He, he's There's no character depth to him. No. I don't care about him. They're not... <laughs> Good. I'm glad you agree with me on this, because I really don't like him. But it's not a love story. 100%. It's not a love story. No. It's more... Uh, Drama. I thought I was in love with you story, or, you know, teenagers thinking they know what love is story. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the thing when we were talking before and you said you saw part of the film when you were like 14 yeah I mean we saw it and then left and got a refund because we were bored yeah but I was going to say it's probably not a movie for 14 year old boys however I know that some people perceive it through the eyes of the Phantom because the Phantom is the guy that gets friend zoned essentially I put that later on he's a nice guy he's a nice guy yeah and he has the Quasimodo moment where he could choose to be a good guy and let the girl that he loves be in love with someone else yeah and he doesn't no and he he is a proper nice guy that he's like I boosted your career I told you nice things about your voice I I gave you a starring role and this is how you repay me you're supposed to love me yeah if if I can't have you then I'm not gonna let anyone have you he's a nice guy exactly and and I don't mean that as a compliment. Obviously, there's that internet trend. Just go on Reddit and search nice guys and you'll mm-hmm. see exactly what I mean. Um, yeah. Don't trust a man who expects something back from you. No, exactly. Um, and they're all just... She, she's a pawn in his game against this opera. Yep. And she becomes a pawn in Edward's game against... Raoul, yeah. Against the Phantom. They were clearly very good friends. He yeah. has a nickname for her, and like he calls her Little Lottie all the time, and she brings it up as well. Yeah, and she's definitely got unresolved daddy issues. With her dead dad. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that the Phantom becomes a father figure. Did you understand why? Because her dad used to make jokes about Angel of Music. Yeah. And she's latched onto the Phantom hearing his voice and he has become her angel of music and mm-hmm. tutored her behind the scenes. Yeah. So she thinks 
that the fan, the voice of the Phantom is the angel music that her father has sent to her from heaven. Yeah. Which explains why she's not scared, because everyone knows these stories of the Phantom of the Opera. and yeah. But she only hears this voice when she's alone. Yeah. But she's still, you know, in a, in a place where you, you've heard of ghosts within this place. Yeah, but it's a theatre. It is, and... It explains why she's not scared, whereas any other performer in there would probably think, oh, God, it's the Phantom. Yeah. This is why she persists, is because she thinks her father's looking out from her. Um, that lovely moment where she looks in the mirror. Oh, it's and gorgeous. You see it, and then opens the mirror, he's standing there, he Do beckons you know her. a really funny fact about that? Go for it. Is that because it's being projected from the other side? Yeah. His mask's on the wrong side of his face? Uh, and then when it opens, the mask's on the other side. Oh, but it is on the right side of his face yeah. for, in the projection. But because of the way that it's projected on the mirror, it flips it. it. Oh, that's so, so it's interesting. I, like, I really like things like that. It's, it is a goof that I enjoy. I really liked... Um, I don't know how they did it, but they've gone from down there to up there. Yeah. That was brilliant. It's not them. No, obviously. But right, okay. because she was on stage there at that point in time, I don't know how they did with her, and I think that's so, so cool. Who? Wait, I'm confused. Christine was on stage. Yeah. She just had a scene with Edward. Yeah. And I don't know how she'd have got up there so quickly. She didn't. So it was another person. It was an act, a different actress. Okay, cool. Yeah. So they she doesn't sing a... at that point necessarily. She's she... singing, but she's backstage. Okay. And then the get... Phantom is singing and he's backstage. Yeah. So they have two swings or ensemble like cast dressed as the Phantom and Christine who do the walking part. Oh, very cool. And they just mime. And they just swap over at some point. Or they down they go off to and the they're, wait, they're waiting on the boat. Right? That was very cool how it dropped. Yeah. That was very cool to give the sense of travelling. Um, he's in the theatre house, the opera house, for ransom. A bit. They pay him. No, I know they pay him to kind of get things on. And he's kind of got a lot of influence. What he says goes. Mm -hmm. He's not a fan of Carlotta, but Car Carlotta wouldn't have received this same kind of treatment as the star. This isn't like the star of the show gets this private audience with the Phantom. This is just because he has got a fascination. No, so he's taught Christine to sing. Yes. Because he's heard her singing just to herself. And she had potential and he's moulded it. Yeah. And because he's trained her... I think while he was training Christine, he probably didn't care what Carlotta was doing. But also, he has to listen to her sing. He lives under the opera house. Yeah. And listening to somebody that you don't particularly like sing constantly is probably yeah. quite annoying. Yeah. Um, so as soon as Christine is ready to take over, he's like, well, we don't need this one anymore. Yeah. One of the things I really noticed watching this was just the sheer spectacle yeah. of the set pieces and the transitions how I can imagine a lot of that was lost on the film because it's just sets and it's just yeah. there. Is that something that was touched upon within the films or in reviews that it just loses some of the impact? Mm -hmm. A lot of it. And a lot of it becomes strange because, so in the stage show, the one we've just watched and the like London stage show and the Broadway stage show, when the boat comes out, and all the candles yeah, are rising from the this, mist. This is, this is the bit that I wrote it at because it's just fantastic. Yeah. It looks amazing and it's gorgeous. And, like, the candles are all rising. She's coming out on the boat and all the fogs come in. And you get the idea that we're on a lake. Yeah. But also, it's a stage show. Candles rising from the floor is just a spectacle. Mm. You don't think too deeply into it. 
in the film, they rise out of water because we're on a boat on water and they rise out lit. And it just sort of takes you out of the moment. You're like, hang on. This is the thing. It's because obviously on stage you can kind of suspension. And same with film. You've got suspension of disbelief. Mm -hmm. We accept certain But when you watch a lit candle come out of water, you see... But that's the thing. On stage, especially on stage, you appreciate they're going for a theme. They're going for a mood. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily what's actually happening. But cool. Because I'm here for that. Well, the other thing that you get is that the Phantom is very clever he has all these tricks and traps and I fully believe that the stage phantom could make these iron like candles rise out of water and find some way to get them to light themselves. Yeah. I, I can suspend my disbelief that far. But he's not magic. Like, no. which is what the film seems to think. Because there's bits, there's surreal bits. Like, they walk down a corridor and there's all real arms sticking up. But I tell you why they think that is because there are moments in the in the show we've just watched where he hurls fireballs at people mm-hmm. and he commands fire, um, which obviously is stage trickery. It's it's magic. It's sleight of hand. Yeah, but that's what he's doing, and you accept that he yeah. knows how to do those things. But within the film, I think they've taken that idea and they've made it. It's too far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a line. I love that song. I really do think it's great. It's it's the one song I really know about it because obviously I think anyone you could talk what, to. What Phantom of the Opera? Yeah, the title like, song. It's it's yeah. it's such an incredible iconic song, mm-hmm. um, and everything about it is great. It's spooky. It's sinister, but also there is that sense of romantic mystery to it. Yeah, that kind of you are Christine at that point in time. Like you are kind of like into him. Like there's this mystery. This is the thing, and he's hypnotic. Yes, one hundred percent. Um, but then she just loses her voice randomly. Who? Christine. At one point during this, she just, she stops singing completely and it just becomes the phantom singing to her. Oh, it's because she sings that high E. Yeah. Yeah, so this is... He sings this high E. Yeah. I thought this was going the way of the Little Mermaid and he was Ursula stealing her voice. I think, so, she's never the character Christine. She's singing for him, and he's pushing her and pushing her, and he's her teacher as well. Yeah. You remember that, like, he is the one that's been training her to sing like this. So he pushes her, and she sings higher and higher and higher until she hits this top high note that she's never hit before, and he does this big, like, gasp. Yeah. And the fact that she's surprised him, she's, like, holding her throat. Because it hurts, because she's never hit that. it hurts. But also, actress-wise... Yeah. The stage show of Phantom of the Opera has a recorded track for that note because they don't expect the actresses to be able to hit that note every single night. Oh, cool. That's really nice. If they can... They do. Their microphone cuts out the audio, so they'll sing it. But if they think that they're not going to hit it, they just open their mouths and the audio comes on. Sierra Bogas hits that note every night. She was fantastic. She's amazing. Yeah. And... uh, like, there's a couple of other actresses who have specifically said, I've never used the audio track, I hit that But mind. at the same time, like, I can imagine that's a really good pressure off for such a big, important part. Yeah, because especially if you're going to go for it, you have to do it correctly. Yeah. Because everyone knows that song, and that note, like, fans know what that note is going to be. Exactly. We've talked about how good the costumes and sets are, but mm-hmm. there's one thing I'm really disappointed by. Which is? His mask. 
Oh, yeah, you said about this. I found it incredibly off-putting, because the mask, I noticed it during this song especially, Mm -hmm. it hangs off of his face. It's set slightly away from his face. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, it really, it's off-putting because he's doing excellent work, Mm -hmm. like you were saying, to emote with half your face like that. Yeah. It's brilliant. But because all I can focus on is the fact that his mask is hanging off, it just distracted me. Um, it looked more like I can imagine. Do they sell replica masks in like the gift shop or, or like the the merchandise store? Can you buy a Phantom of the Opera? I believe so. So that it looked like they'd run out of. They forgot his mask. They just went to that that, that booth and got one. It's molded for his face. He has a couple of them. And I was reading when I was doing my research for this. I read an interview with uh, Ramin Karimlu, yeah, who is playing the Phantom in this version. He said he has a couple of those masks in his attic. Like, they're in storage. Yeah. He just has them. But the reason that it sits away from his face is because of the prosthetic that's underneath it. It's we... under there the whole time. Yeah. And the reason it sits... And they sits... must bump up above the head a little bit. Yeah, it sits way further out than his face is. And when you're looking at it on film, you can't really see it. But it pushes his face away. Oh, no. And the other part is on his lip. Yeah. There's a really big curved out part that pushes the mask away. So it has to sit far enough away that it's not rubbing the latex. Yeah. But also, underneath the nose part, he the mask gives the Phantom a hooked nose. Yes. Which is the look that they were going for. Every single Phantom mask has a hooked nose. Yeah. And inside of that, there's a sort of sponge that sits against their face and it soak up, soaks up all the latex sweat, which is disgusting. But it is helpful okay that's fair i mean it just for me it was off-putting it just looked yeah and especially you, when everything you never else see it that close no and i think the audience I, I think that's something that the film the translation of it hasn't helped with yeah um yeah from, as an audience member you would never see even if you're in the first row you would never be able to see that yeah well if we ever go see phantom of the opera i will be purchasing one of these replica masks yeah. that i will i think see pride. it twice both times I collect pins yeah. and like little and enamel I collect pins. teddy bears, funnily enough. There is a little fountain teddy bear and he's really cute oh. and he wears a mask. So what have I got? I've got a squall of rock bear, I've got a Simba, mm-hmm. and I've got an owl from uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Oh, and I've got the uh, magical frog from Book of Mormon. <laughs> Excellent. So um, now we need a phantom bear. Now I need a phantom bear. But so both times I went, I tried to get pin and the pin is just the mask yeah the like half mask and both times they were sold out and i'm really mad about it because i really want but there are some really good enamel pins in musical mm-hmm. box office shops Harry the Potter waitress ones. one's great the waitress one is I a little slice of pie oh. i have it it's in the office i'll show you in a minute yes please do um so yeah we've had the big song and now he's sing songs seducing her he sings uh, music of the night yes that's i have i have to say that song went on a long time and i got really bored i i'm not gonna lie that song goes on for a lot longer than i remember it did. yeah even she got bored and fell asleep on his shoulder she faints no she falls asleep and then she comes back walks away and then she faints no okay so this is the thing where I said he's hypnotic. Yes. This song, he's hypnotising her. Yeah. I... And it's not, you know, like, he's hip- magic hypnotising her. He's using his singing to 
make her fall for him. No, which is understandable. Like, that's all he's got going for him. Yeah. I, I think he's quite handsome. <laughs> and I know this is, like, at this point, he's wearing the mask, and it's Ram, Ram in, Karim Lee, who's think, a very handsome man. I think in his mind, all he's got is his... Okay. All he's got is his soul. But with the slicked back hair, the suit, and the mask on, he's very handsome. But I quite like feeling yeah, I mean, <laughs> So this probably isn't for a good reason. No, but I just, I felt that that song went on a little time. It's one of the first points in the film where I started to like look at my watch and go, oh, how, how long have we been watching this okay. for? It was the, the one point, I even wanted to take a Twitter break. It's the one, it is one of the points in the film that I was just like, this has gone on a little too long. I'm a little bored now. Can we move mm-hmm. the story onwards? Yeah, so she is overwhelmed by her everything and faints. Yep. He sings the line, the power of the music that I write. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if Andrew Lloyd Webber sang that song at We will point. circle back around to that at yes. the end of this. Um, in there now. now, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, is anyone upstairs worried that their star has gone missing? And the is Edward yes. Cullen being held for arrest? Because... The last anyone saw her was him saying, let, Give me, talk me, her let me talk to her alone. Yeah. So that's suspicious. She's she's now a missing person. The last it's person the to see her. It's the 1800s and she's an actress. Nobody cares where she is. That's fine. It's, I mean, yeah. I also think, um, so yeah, she goes to bed. She mm. He's laid her out on the boat mm. and he starts playing music and he Terrible just, music. Oh my God. He needs lessons on how to handle his organ. He's pounding that thing so hard. Okay. (laughs) It just, it looked painful. And I'm thinking, you're the Phantom of the Opera. And you don't know how to play this music. And it is the music from Don Juan Triumpha, which is the opera that he goes on to write. It is some of the music from that. But he plays that and he's smashing the piano and then... Yes, that's what I meant by pounding his organ. Yeah, and then he stops, and then the monkey plays Masquerade, which is the lullaby. Yeah. And then reprise. And then she wakes up. She wakes up, and she's really drawn to him at See What's Under the Mask. Yeah. Which, to be fair, I'm not going to commit to someone who wears a mask without seeing what's under the mask. Do you remember what he calls her for trying to look under the mask? No. Okay, he calls her Pandora, Prime Pandora. Pandora's opening and, the box. Uh, you don't know what you've opened. Yeah. yeah. And Delilah. Because of the hair? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Bible I, story. That's the one Bible story I will never, ever forget. Because of the song? No, 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 no. Um, back in 2009, mm-hmm. I was on an episode of The Week's Link. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, no. Is this the question you got wrong? And I went out in the first round. I was The Week's Link. Oh, my God. Um, ironically enough, I, if I hadn't banked my first question, we'd have gone through. Um, it was like, what H do you take with you on a picnic? And it's a hamper. If I hadn't banked before that, we'd gone through the whole round. Everyone would have got the question right, end of round. But you banked. I banked because I got nervous. And then it came back to my second round, and it was in the Bible, who was responsible for the downfall of Samson by cutting off his hair. And I passed. I was the only person to pass in that round. And, yeah, That's I got terrible. voted off. Um, well, it's Delilah. I will never forget the story of Samson and Delilah. Yeah. Um, so I assumed when I heard that it's because he's got this wig on underneath. and Mostly it's just 
betrayal okay. is what he's going for. He's naming female betrayers. Yeah. But it's supposed to show that he's educated because people weren't reading the Bible. They no. weren't reading these Bible stories. You got told them. Yeah. So the fact that he has this history of, like, he isn't hasn't gone to school. Yeah. But he knows this Bible story and he knows the Greek myth of Pandora where has he learned these from? It's, He's a very learned guy. Exactly. It's just more kind of exposition so that when we get the reveal of who he is, it's not a shock to us. Yeah. Yeah. I'd just like to wonder how long she'd been down there for and then the way he lashes out to her. Yeah. At that this point for me. Snap, yeah. That point for me is like, right, this isn't a love story. And at no point would I ever, I don't care what he would have done to her since he could be the perfect gentleman. Yeah. That's an abusive relationship. Do you want to know something interesting about Love Never Dies? Yes. I'm going to keep bringing this up because Go for it. Which Love Never Dies is so weird. And chances are we won't watch it because Char- I doubt there will ever be a filmed... So in Love it. Never Dies, Christine has a son. Yes. With Edward Cullen. Supposedly with Raoul. Yeah. And the son is a musical prodigy who can oh. play the piano. And it is implied and then confirmed by Christine that he is the phantom's son because the she... night that she faints and he wakes her up playing oh, the organ, no. she gets pregnant. So he... here's my question. <laughs> Does she wake up during the night or is but, it... But that can't be true because when he's about to marry her, he talks about how he's never sampled the pleasures of the flesh. So he's a virgin. Yeah. So he can't have... Exactly. Except if he... Andrew Lloyd Webber wants him to have because that's a nice plot twist but for the second one. That's not a plot twist. The Phantom rapes her. Yeah. It's either Christine lies to him to save her son, which she isn't, yeah. and they make it very clear that she isn't, or he raped her. And Yeah, that's all it could be because she's, she's this, again... This is why I hate Love Never Dies because it... Undoes a lot undoes... of character work. A character who is tragic, and I find the Phantom a tragic villain. He is a villain, and I'm, yes. he does unforgivable things, none of which are rape. And that is where it, like, yeah. I'm like, okay, no, because I now can't feel sorry for him anymore. No, and I think that's a big character flaw, is there's certain things you can't bring people back from. Yeah. The only time it's ever kind of worked was Buffy, when... Spike, yeah, with Spike yeah. and Buffy's relationship, but even then, he I haven't didn't... seen that recently enough to comment. Yeah, and I don't know how well the age is, but I remember thinking, even after that point in the next series, when Spike's got his soul, Spike's cool and he's redeemed, but yeah, you can't come back from that. So that's very weird that Andrew Lloyd Webber would tarnish the legacy of such a show by writing one. in that. He'd probably argue that she consented. Yeah. But we're just not shown it. Yeah, but again, she's played as virginal. She's this wholesome, pure mm-hmm. um, entity for this play. Yep. You know, you know full well she would be saving herself for marriage with Raoul. 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 Um, there's no way she would have done anything unbecoming. It's not her character. So you've undone two characters. Yeah, and that's why it upsets me so much. No, I don't blame you there. My rant over. No, I agree. <laughs> She's returned to the surface world. And then we have um, a scene where... Some great songs we and some see, great lyrics. We see where the Phantom's bribery money goes on postage to all these different people with these letters. <laughs> yeah. um, Who's he posting them via? Did you get that? No. 
Madame Bajiri. Oh, yes, that makes She's sense. She's the one that takes the She's the, the go-between. Yeah. That's how she knows. Um, I did think she knew more. Mm. I loved the song before Prima Donna. Notes. Notes. It's called Notes. Yeah, I think that was a lot of fun. The wordplay on it yeah. was good. The Far too many notes for my taste. I love that song. Um, who was it when he says um, that I writ, oh, wrote? Um, is that not the letter you wrote? And what is it that I meant to have wrote? And then there's a pause. Don, written. Bit. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a lot of fun. The other guy that didn't sing that song, the other producer, mm-hmm. looked like Peter Capaldi. He did, yeah. That's why I was, the entire time he was on stage, I was trying to figure out who he looked like. Yeah, I thought yeah, for sure it was like Peter Capaldi. And then I started to think this would be really fun if like the doctors just immersed himself in this by accident, if this whole <laughs> thing came with Doctor Who episode. And that would be fun. I didn't go about like doing Doctor Who references. Phantom of the Opera would be a great episode for Doctor Who. Oh, it would be a brilliant basis. I'd be very intrigued to see how that works. You know, would it be, you know, would it be one of those kind of... Secret alien. <laughs> Secret alien. Is it like the the episodes where he meets a real life figure, or is it uh, mm. more to it? You know, they've had werewolves. Why not have? Why not have Dracula? They've had the the, the devil himself. Yeah, we might as well have. Let's the have Phantom. the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Especially if it was kind of like the Doctor became the Phantom of the Opera, something like that. Accidentally, that would be quite cool. But with a female Doctor, we can certainly have her be. Um, Christine, Christine. Um, so we go from notes into prima donna so they're begging Carlotta to come back and work for them however these people are idiots they've just had all these threatening notes I think they just Carlotta makes them a lot of money and that's where their brains are I know but they've just had all these threatening notes mm-hmm. and they you know Carlotta's already left once because she's scared of him mm-hmm. Which makes sense, she's a diva and she's probably just playing up the fear for Yeah, she is. But at the same time... Well, the other thing is Pianji... He's really tempting fate that badly when he's just said, do this or else, and thinking... Well, at this point they're thinking, well, what's he going to do? He hasn't yet killed anyone. No. All he does is he messes with them at this point. He's not... And they've only been here for a little bit. He's not someone they feel like they should be scared of. Yeah. He's a vandal, if anything. Yeah. Is a waste of their resources. Stakes are raised once he kills Bouquet. Yeah. But I want to talk about Prima Donna because my favourite thing about this song is that they are trying to convince her to come back. Yes. But it's so underhanded. But this was the song I this was the song I'd seen at yours. Yeah. I don't know where we were going, but whilst you were getting ready, this was on and I was Mm -hmm. just watching it and it is it is really fun and really silly and over the top. And it's got my favourite lyric in the show, which is You'd never get away with all this in a play, but if it's loudly sung and in a foreign tongue, it's just the sort of story audiences adore. Yeah. Everything that's happening to them, they're like, this would be a great opera. We'd enjoy this. This yeah. would make us lots of money. It's, it's more emphasis on that kind of it is satire and what these stories are. Yeah. And I like it. The costume change during that scene's fun as well. Like where they Oh, like, they just put up a little um screen, screen in front of her and just change her whole dress. Yeah, it's great. But again, so so after that after prima donna we get another we get a declaration of war from the phantom of the opera now mm. so it is to be war between us yeah. but does he say that to them or is that is that a soliloquy that only we can hear no they hear it they can and hear they it. still choose to go ahead yep the fact that he's watched that and they still think yeah okay that's that's yeah well this is the thing so raul is working from a point of view where he's like who is this mystery man 
to tell me what to do. I am a vegan. Yeah. And he's spoken to... Oh, no, at this point he hasn't spoken to her. No, he has no idea. He has no idea who this guy is. So, yeah, to him it's just like, who's this man that thinks he can tell me what to do? I'm rich. And the two directors, Andre and Fermont, they kind of are just going along with him. Yeah. They don't want to be bothered by it. Yeah, because he seems more of an expert on it than them. Yeah. Was he the benefactor before them? No. So he came in with them? Yeah. Okay. Which is why they're all so dumb, is that... They, none of them have any experience with this. And no. if they just listened to Madame Giri, they would know that they're... On a side note, I really love like the consistency of her character, just that the stomp of the um, of her stick. And yeah. was, that, that, that works. I always say to kids that drama isn't just acting, it's reacting. And the way you react mm-hmm. to someone gives them or takes away their power. Yeah. For her, her poise throughout the whole show is brilliant. But that tells that you moment. everything you need to know about that character. Then. Exactly. But in that, that moment, that one moment, and everyone stops, I know everything I need to know about that character. And that mm-hmm. character is made because of yeah. great directing and reactions. And I, I really liked that. It's something I wanted to touch upon. So we have the new opera, which was Phantom of the Willows or Wind in the Opera, because she becomes a toad. Il Muto. Yes. Yeah. So... And it has the Carlotta the Carlotta. great song "Poor Fool Who Makes Me Laugh," which gets stuck in my head all yeah. the time. And he, she gets turned into a toad. Yeah. Poop yeah. poop. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll talk about Winter Willows at some point. So he he sabotaged her voice somehow. Yes. What has he done? That's because it's never made clear what so he's actually is done. The thing, and I don't know whether it's just in the film, but. Carlotta has this like throat spray that she sprays and all her assistant sprays into her mouth okay, to that open ne- up never her saw throat. That, which makes sense. It's not in this one. Yeah. I can't remember whether it's in the stage show or not. I know it's in, a, in the film for a fact because in the film they make a big deal about the phantom swapping the bottle. So essentially... So he's sabotaged yeah. her. So that's what I'd assume. So he got to her before and possibly put something in a drink that yeah. affects her vocal cords to... I think the mystery of it is the point, though. You're supposed yeah. to be like, well, how has he done and that? And again, it's that magic of him, mm-hmm. which, fair. Hence the phantom. Like, how has he been able to yeah. make this happen? I really love the direct address then when our producer comes on, he's talking to the audience. Yeah fictional but also real it's kind of like uh this isn't planned but what we're going to do is we're, we're going to urgently urgently yeah you know flipping <laughs> through the playbooks from act three um and bring on the ballet and um, that's great but then and then the stakes are raised but like you said and it's so brilliant if you're in the audience chances are you're not going to see joe boucher pacing it back and forth and you're yeah. not so he's up in the up in the flies above the stage and you only notice it if you are kind of watching because there's a ballet happening yeah. there are the ensemble are on stage and you're going to be watching this moment because that's fun in my mind i'm thinking okay this is just a scene change thing because they're going to come back on with christine ready to perform carlotta's role i thought it was just literally a makeshift set change scene yeah but it's not and that's great character development. But the, the only reason I noticed that is because for our, our sake, the mm-hmm. camera cuts to a shot of Joe and then yeah. the Phantom. In the theatre, can you see that? Yes. But would you necessarily see it because your eyes wouldn't be going up there? I think the way that the theatre that Phantom is in, in London, yeah. 
the way that it's laid out, you have to look there. Okay. Because if you're in the stalls, you're looking upwards already. The stage yeah. is quite raised. But if you're up in the circle... <clears throat> you're looking straight at you're it. You're looking straight at it, which is yeah. fine. But I can imagine, like, if you couldn't see it, the body dropping down would, would be shocking at first. But oh, then, my God. And the noise as but well. But then I think, actually, would also be quite confusing. If you've not seen him up there, it might just be like, what's going on? Well, the other thing is that... The, the ballet dancers happens, stop and they point and they start the... No. Before that happens... Yeah you see his shadow a couple of times yeah. because you know he's up there, but while the ballet is happening, you hear strains of his theme coming yeah. through, which happens in the version we watched as well. Yeah. But you see against the backdrop, like the swoop of a, cl- oh. of a cloak, or, and then you see his shadow run across, and it's so dramatic, and the only reason they didn't do it is because they were doing it with the digital Fair. projections. But I still like that moment. Yeah. This... You get the idea that it's he's running around backstage because everyone's on the stage. Yeah. And that leads to our first murder. Death, yeah. Um, okay. And I was... I got really excited here because I thought, oh... He was telling all the girls, all the cast, that he'll get you with the rope. Yeah. And I thought it was going to be a really nice thing. Where His whenever... magic lasso. And I thought it was going to be a really nice moment that whenever the Phantom kills someone else, mm-hmm. it's been foreshadowed by something that they'd said, like a myth about the Phantom. So, Madame Jury says he'll, he'll kill you the red lasers from his eyes. Yeah. And I honestly was I love to... that she says that yeah. to him. But I was thinking, at this point, obviously, I don't know who's going to die, who's going to survive. Yeah. But I thought it'd be really nice if anyone who dies, there is something that when you think back, they've been foreshadowed. Because Joe, I'm thinking, well, mm-hmm. he held up the noose. Yeah. I was disappointed that that was his only method of killing people. I think it's it could have been it's more a theat- book thing. No, I know, but it could have been more theatrical on stage. Yeah, but he kills everyone with the noose. Yeah, and I got that like that's his murder weapon. Like yeah. Freddy Krueger's got you know his knife My hands. Um, everyone's got their weapon. Candyman's got his hook. Yeah. Phantom has this lasso but I got for a moment because of the way Joe had held up the noose I thought oh is that what's going to happen anyone he kills them in the way that they predict that would be cool yeah that's what Um, I thought I like that um that would be a good horror movie scheme I did wonder why Christine was so scared on the roof because she's just watched him kill someone yeah it makes sense but it I, it made me wonder if there was more to the story between her and the Phantom that we hadn't seen. It didn't seem like they parted on that bad terms. Like when she left his lair, it's kind of like he the... dragged her out. They calmed down from the response of the mask. Like in the mind, she gives it back to him. She gives it back yeah. to him, and then he's like, "Let's get you back to the real world." It's not like snapping at it. It's go, he goes calmer again, mm. and I guess that depends how you read it. Because I always I could understand from he's... Christine being very much embarrassed and also. I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have pride, and he's yeah. upset me, and I deserve to be upset. Like, if I had a disability that I hid from someone, yeah. and for them to just force themselves upon me to reveal that, mm. I'd be angry at that person, like the Phantom. I can kind of understand that. So I she, mean, he kidnapped her. No, I know he kidnapped her. I'm not, I'm not trying to excuse it, but... Yeah, she, no, no, no. She, you know, it, in fairness, I don't think he kidnapped her. He said, come with me, and she did, because she believed him. He, he groomed her. But yeah. it didn't seem to me at this point that they parted on bad times. The last time we saw them, they were hand in hand leaving his lair. I think shes it's just set in for her what she's agreed to, yeah. which is that she she already, before she went through the mirror with him, belongs to him. Mm. Like when Raoul says to her, we're going out for dinner, she's like, no, I can't. 
go out with you. Yeah. I'm not allowed to leave. She's basically not allowed to leave the theatre. Yeah. And she's agreed to that. And then at this point, she's seen what he really looks like and is horrified and then sort of calms down enough to be allowed to go back yeah. and see her friends. His, the very next thing he does after screaming at her and then really rapidly calming down and making her go back to the theatre is kill someone. Yeah. And she isn't aware of any of the notes that happen. No, which are very possessive. He is that kind of abusive... Yeah, she doesn't know that he's stalker. sending all these notes to the yeah. theatre saying that she should be the lead. It's just happening to her. And I'd imagine she'd probably be quite upset because she wants to earn that of her own merit. Yeah, well, I don't think she particularly wanted to be a singer to start with. Yeah. She was quite happy in the core. Yeah. But, like... She's had greatness thrust upon her. Yeah. Um, Edward Cullen then sings Nothing's Gonna Harm You, Not While I'm Around to Christine. By which you mean... That's All I Ask of You. Yes. Which is another song I knew. Because I love that song. Yeah, but here's the thing. When we listen to it in the car on Spotify... It sounds more romantic. <laughs> I always thought it was the Phantom singing it to her. He does, later. Yeah, but that... That, I mean, that one, yeah. I've heard the main version, not the reprise. Mm-hmm. I always thought so I was quite shocked. Yeah. And then the Phantom proves he's a nice guy because he can't cope with the friend zone, which I hate that term, the friend zone, but, like... Because yeah. he's not even in the friend zone. He's not He's not even an entity. He's not in any zone. But yeah. he, he's been watching her. He's on top of the opera house. Yeah. He's been peeking, watching, and he's there. I made you... You should love me. Mm. I can't believe you go with him. He's a zero and I'm the best. Yeah. So I have a couple of things to say about this scene. Yeah. The first one is a change from stage show to this version. Yeah. Which is that, and I didn't know about this before I saw the stage show for the first time. And I, you know, I do extensive research Mm -hmm. into anything I'm going to go and see. In the stage show, at the top of the stage, framing the stage, is this like gilded... Uh, frieze of angels yeah. made out of stone brackets stone yeah. and one of the angels is on ropes and you don't know until this scene happens but it comes about halfway down the stage and I was in the circle when I saw it for the first time and I was literally looking at it thinking why would they do this why would they put this angel here I know it's to tell us that we're on the roof now and yeah. like the levels have changed, that's fine, but I can't see Christine and Raoul from my current seat because this angel's in the way and then the phantom pops up from this angel and people wow. screamed in the audience and I gasped and, oh my God, he's standing upright on something that's only about as big as maybe the sofa we're currently yeah. sat on and like halfway up the stage, like in the air, just standing there singing this heartbreaking song and it's amazing and it's so much better than what they did. Well, see, this this is it. So in this version... they couldn't do it in this version. But in this version, I hadn't noticed at this point that the conductor was at the top there. I hadn't noticed that. Mm. So I said to you, go, who is that? Is that the Phantom watching them? Oh, no, it's just the (laughs) The conductor. conductor. And And then then his hand comes up. Just the hand, I'm thinking, oh. The other thing with that scene, with the projections, um, in the projection... Was that when we got a glitch? Yeah. There's a bit of a weird glitch in the background, but in the projection you get the view of Paris in the background and the Eiffel Tower's there. This, the Phantom of the Opera, is set in 1881. Before. Before the Eiffel Tower was built. (laughs) The Eiffel Tower was built in 1889. There we go. This is a Doctor Who episode 
waiting to happen. <laughs> the Doctor comes to the palace. shouldn't be here. Yes, and it realises yeah. the Phantom is all at the plot of it. Um, the Phantom is really going to that. use the uh, Eiffel Tower as a radio wave to sing and seduce all the maidens of Paris. Okay. The Phantom, yeah, he destroys the chandelier. Song, his song, sorry, cut no, him back no, a tiny bit. So it's his, his reprise of All I Ask of You. And it makes me cry I every didn't... single time. And it's not, it's such a good villain song. Because he's singing about how he feels like he's owed something by her. Yeah. Which he's not. But he feels like he is. And he he thinks he's in love with her. And he thinks he's lost everything. And he's singing so high and so heartbreakingly. Like, that piece of music makes me cry every the time I hear it. The song is beautiful. And then he snaps and he's evil. Yeah, and... The song is beautiful, but at no point should I ever feel sorry or tragic for him. I just thought, and... Oh, I do. <laughs> I know. I have no sympathy towards him. I don't think he's a sympathetic figure whatsoever. Mm. I think he's an abuser who probably has been abused in his life. Yeah. Um, which we know from the story of his past. Yeah. But he has no idea what love is, and I don't. That's not his fault, though. No, it's not. Not, uh, not forgiving like he's it's a not, multiple no, murderer. It's but... not his fault. But I didn't yeah. feel sorry for him. I just kind of thought, okay. You're a meme. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair. <laughs> like, okay, this girl doesn't love you. Move on because go out there, find some girl who will. Cheat to another person, see how that works out for you. Don't pin all your hopes on the first girl you've taken an interest to. Yeah. I just, if I, I just think it's really sad. She's also the, the song, only person that's ever paid him attention. The song is the song is beautiful, and his singing is magnificent. I'm yeah. not down. That's the that. part that makes me cry. Yeah, I'm not downplaying that. You can so see why it's a brilliant villain song because mm-hmm. you can see the cogs turning in his head it doesn't make me feel sympathetic to him but I think it's a beautiful character development yeah you know because he's going he's trying to rationalize himself but I gave you this in his mm-hmm. mind he's done everything right you well know. this is the thing as well I think there's something so interesting about seeing a character who has already been shown to be very very intelligent yeah lose himself to emotions yeah and I like that yeah, and I think that's great. You know, I love it when a villain essentially resigns himself to, okay, fine, I'll be the villain. Yeah. I love it. I, I love that in a song where mm-hmm. they recognise that they're the bad guy because there's so many villains that are like, I'm not the villain. Yeah. And, he, and in this case, he's, yeah. He's like, yeah. I'm and I'm there. going to make you pay. And then the chandelier should fall. But it doesn't. I understand we're in the Royal Albert Hall. We can't quite we crush get, our audience. Instead, we just get a 70s disco. Yeah. And, and all the lights blow up and the chandelier is broken. We get the intermission. Um, no ice cream for us today. No. Not even a toilet break. Watching it on YouTube. Yeah. It goes intermission and then straight back into curtains. Up. Well, back into the overture. Well, and we go into Masquerade. Yeah. I love How Masquerade. long? So you said about a year's past. They don't ever say. You get the idea that he's been gone for a long time. To play Masquerade yeah. feels like they're mocking him. They don't know that he wears a mask. Uh, Christine knows that they're wearing, he's wearing a mask. Yeah, but she's not told anyone. She must have told people. No, the only thing she's told Raoul is that he's just he's a human man. I just, I felt like they were kind of mocking him a little bit. Mm. I thought at first it was it's a brand new opera and then I saw that 
Edward was on stage and thought, right, well, it can't be. Rao, yeah. I keep forgetting his name. And the directors. Yeah, and I saw that, but... Managers, sorry. Is it really appropriate, you know, regardless to have this kind of big event when you've got, like, a murder on this? I don't know how long the time has passed. This could be the next day, for yeah. all I know. I've got no idea how long has passed since mm-hmm. that point. Well, they've got a new chandelier. Yes. And they reference a couple of times the passing of time and okay. how long it has been. Yeah, which made sense to me, like, after. But I just think that could be more explicitly clear. Yeah. Maybe it isn't a programme that too. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um... And, and the phantom shows up. It is yes. the Day of the Dead. His, the costume he's oh, wearing is called so the Red Death. <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. And it's it, from a play, I believe. Honestly, I laughed so much it's when he cool, showed up. It's cool, though. It was tacky. Yeah, I mean, he probably made that in his basement. That's where his money's going on. Yeah. All this bribe money, it's, it's his hat. Every time he shows up, he's got a bigger hat. His That's tape true. has more sequins. It's postage. <laughs> and it's um, costumes. I just thought it was tacky. Why not have him show up as the Phantom? Why not just have him show up as his character, with his hat, with his cape, with his This is the thing mask. I don't understand. This is the one thing I will give you, is that... I understand why Christine would know who he is. I, I get that she might feel a chill come over her because she recognises that he's close to her mm-hmm. somehow. Well, no, because we'll dispute that later on. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, I know we will. But for the, for the for this scene in particular, she feels this chill come over her because she senses that the phantom is near. The Everyone phantom else. of the opera is there. He's over Inside there. a skeleton mask. <laughs> but but he everyone reacts to him being there. He's in a costume. It's Maleficent showing up there. But no one should know Aurora's who he is. Christening, isn't they it? don't know what he looks like. It's just a dude in a costume has shown up and then and the as costume, soon as he speaks. The costume is cool, like the mask moving was fantastic. And it looked but it, it must just, be really nice for the actor to get to change costume. Yeah, it just was silly. I didn't need to see that. But he is silly. He's dramatic and over oh, the yeah, top. Oh, he is a complete drama queen. And he throws his manuscript down to Andre. Yeah, he's maintaining social distancing. I thought that was yeah. really responsible of him. <laughs> he's not spreading... He's got his mask. <laughs> he's not spreading the coronavirus. He is maintaining social distancing. Excellent. He hurls this precious manuscript yeah. at the producers. And we learn that that's where he's been. Yeah. He's been writing... Don Juan Triumphant, which is his new opera, and everyone thinks it's terrible. Yes, and there was a part of me that was thinking, okay, it's supposed to be terrible because he, he doesn't know how to play piano. Yeah. But he's, he's a musical genius. He's supposed genius, to be a musical genius, so yeah, he's a prodigy. It's a weird one, weird kind of, I thought, because the whole point is it's supposed to be like a bad, but it's kind of, it's not bad, it's more like abstract. It's new, It's kind of yeah. new and exciting, and they don't get it because they're stuck in their old ways, yeah. and here he is redefining opera yeah and they don't get it but they can sing it yeah which is the point point. and we get the really cool like ghost piano later on mm. so Edward Cullen wow how naive is he post, really naive post the chandelier yeah. and clearly Christine's experience now they're dating they're engaged to be married mm. in secret because she's scared of the phantom hearing yeah but she's presumably said to him everything that's happened and he just doesn't believe her. So this is the thing. I wanted to talk about this. When we talked about them singing All I Ask of You on the Rooftop, yeah. the 
point of All I Ask of You, or the song that comes just before All I Ask of You, when they're singing together, and he's saying, she sings, the Phantom of the Opera is here inside my mind, and he sings inside your mind, he doesn't believe that he's real. He thinks she's over-exaggerating and that it's all in her head and she's freaking out for no reason. And then the next thing that happens is he sings, Christine, Christine, and then you hear the Phantom's voice sing, Christine. And they both turn around. He's looking around for what it is. Yeah. And then he turns to her and is like, no, no, we're hearing things. Yeah. So he's got this narrative in his own head of... No, the Phantom's not real. It's Christine over-exaggerating something that scared her. But then again, you have the immediate follow-up of this um, chandelier falling. Chandelier falls and Bouquet dies. Yeah. And Colotte has lost her voice. How can how can you not? He is so naive. And again, this is more sim- more signs that he's not a good match for Christine, that he's mm-hmm. just as abusive. That He doesn't believe her. He doesn't believe her. You know, if you came to me and said... There's a phantom in the house. I'm going to go around and I'm going to believe you and I'm going to do my best to find this weirdo in a mask. Even if there was no evidence to prove that they'd ever been there. Well, I mean, you're not going to lie to me, I hope. No. (laughs) Short Um, of me going crazy and believing that the phantom of the opera lives in our flat, I doubt. Yeah. And more, yeah, and more in line with Chicago Med there, I think, than we are Phantom of the Opera. Um, Guess what we've been watching in quarantine. Yeah. (laughs) musical theatre and trash TV at its finest this is where we learn finally of the Phantom's backstory yeah and clearly he's not a prolific actor there's not been some kind of history here and he's embittered and wanting vengeance for them forgetting about him Mm -hmm. it's more just a case of he was this circus freak who always knew he was better than that Mm -hmm. and he's just wanting to prove it yeah. By whatever means necessary. Yeah. So what you don't quite get explained, and the Phantom alludes to it a little bit, and other people mention different things about him. He he has a line where he says the first item of clothing ever put on him was a mask as a baby, yeah. which is tragic. Um, how he knows that is beyond me. But Super brain. Yeah. He... Uh, was in the circus as a child as a freak in a freak show which obviously we know is torture and is wrong yeah yeah. and that he's been mistreated that way then we have references to he worked for the king of prussia and made him a a garden of mazes which is like was a torture chamber essentially you just put people in these mazes to wander around until they die yeah which that comes from the book and the Phantom did go and work for this king and like he was a genius and he's travelled the world and then he decides to live underneath this opera house. But I think there's nothing in the state in the show in between Circus Freak Child worked for the King of Prussia, lives underneath the opera house. Yeah. And it all comes across as not true. Yeah, it feels like a really convoluted backstory. It's kind yeah. of like um, Pirelli in Sweeney Todd like yeah. he's fictionalised to add more credence to him you know he's a con man mm-hmm. um, you know I share with Depop I, I make mazes for the king of Prussia like it, yeah. it's just like it doesn't feel true and the only person that Madame Jury could get this information from is him yeah. so how much of it is real exactly I know you've explained obviously it being 
the world that they live in and mm-hmm. job's a job and obviously she's in love with Edward. But why is Christine sticking around there when she is so scared of him? I, I don't have an answer. You know, like, it's it's a flaw in her character that they're saying, you're going to perform this anyway. And she's like, no, I'm scared. Don't make me do this. Mm-hmm. Don't, please. And she still does anyway. She um, does it for Raoul, who is a terrible boyfriend, yeah. and is willing to put her in a lot of danger to kill the phantom. Yeah, exactly. But it's fine, because she's going to go and sing memory at her father's grave. Yeah. And that makes everything better. This is... Oh, I can't remember what the actual song is called. It's memory. It's all it it's is. It's not memory. It is. It is memory. Mm. For all intents and purposes, with it, it's that one scene where she's, "What do I do? Guide me." Yeah, she's things at were, her father's grave. You know, things were better back then. It, it is. That just, isn't what that song's saying. That's what I felt like it was. Like it was, she was just kind of saying, "I wish you were still around, Dad. Like guide me. Things were better oh. when you were here." Oh, so my understanding of that song has always been that she has gone to her father's grave because. Everything that's happened has happened because of her her dad. Okay. He's the one that convinced her that after he died, the angel of music was going to come. And she's singing to her father's grave saying, take away all of the past. Yeah. I have to come to terms with the fact that you're just dead and you haven't sent someone to watch over me. You haven't sent somebody kind. All I've got is this human man who is, like, torturing She's reminiscing about her memories. But she's saying she wants it all gone because, like, what's the point in it if it doesn't mean anything? And then the phantom shows up again to gaslight her a little bit more. Yeah. He's really stalking her. Like, the fact he's followed her to her dad's grave. Yeah. And we get that really nice moment. He's he's hovering above the grave. I don't know where he is. Uh, He's stood on the top of a mausoleum. Okay, cool. And he just hurls fireballs at her. Yeah, it's great. I love that scene. You've not seen it, but... It reminded me of the end of Cursed Child. Okay. And obviously I won't go into spoilers. I've the yeah, you know you know who they're fighting. <clears throat> yeah. And they're in a church. I'm not yeah, spoilers, like you they don't keep the secrets. Fighting. They're fighting this this person in a church and this person's flying yeah. and shooting fireballs at people. I just cool. imagine the phantom flying above them both shooting if fireballs. If he could have made himself fly, he hundred percent would have. Yeah. What is the story of his his opera that he writes? Don Juan Triumphant, from what we see in the show, yeah. it is a story about how Don Juan has returned from a war of yeah. some kind to a brothel yeah. run by Carlotta, I assume is supposed to be the matron of the brothel. Yeah. And he has set up a plot with his one of his men to convince a woman at the brothel to sleep with him by trickery. And the way that he does it is he gets his man to go and, in a in a black cloak, yeah. seduce this woman. You said to me it was like a vestal virgin, is that? Yeah, it's, she's supposed to be like a pure woman yeah. that's being seduced and convince her to come to this brothel to meet him. Then they sort places, so Don Juan is now wearing the cloak and he sings to her and while he sings to her, he plies her with alcohol. Yeah. And then... His man is supposed to break in as a some sort of villain. Yeah. And he'll save the day. And... He'll say, "Quick, let's hide in my bedroom," and they'll go and 
hide. Yeah. And then he'll have And to is it her. supposed to be like an expo, the, the Phantom's expose on the rich culture of, uh, you know, the... I have no idea. Because either way, all he's doing is he's basically just written his autobiography of what he plans to do. Yeah, basically. Like, it's, it's I can imagine him set there writing, like, ha-ha, this expose, people will see it, the, the rich yeah. are raping the culture with this... Well, this is the thing, and that's the plot that he writes, and then he uses the exact Yes, because plot we have Piangi of the opera is there. Yeah. But it's not. But it's not Piangi. And um, he's. So the black cape, Piangi goes off stage, says to his uh, man in the play. Piangi of the opera is there. <laughs> Behind you, Christine. <laughs> you say she can sense him. That's why she knows. See, this, it's very inconsistent. It is, because she sensed him in masquerade. But now she's just singing to him. Yeah. And it takes him groping her boob to realise. It's the Phantom. It's not Piangi. She's heard that voice. She's been seduced by that voice, mm-hmm. and yet she's just going with it. If she could sense him, she'd know she was in danger then. Yeah. And, you know, the, the policeman that Edward has hired is useless. So is Raoul. I mean, yeah, but either way, he just gets away with Christine and takes yeah. her back to his lair. So the Phantom swaps places with Piangi, yeah. is what happens. Piangi goes off stage to put on his black cape, and then he's supposed to come back on to seduce Christine's character. But what actually happens behind the scenes is the phantom hangs Piangi. Yeah. And then comes on stage in the black cape and sings Point of No Return with Christine. And she doesn't realise that it's him for a really long time. I know. And this is the thing. She's so obsessed with his voice. He is her angel of music. This voice means so much to her. How does she not recognise? She should recognise him. Yeah, she should. I don't um, have a, a, any reason for that except for, you know, plot. Yeah, exactly. It's just moving the plot along. It's kind of like you're on the edge of it. I think you as the audience, there's that dramatic irony. You know it's him. Well, also... Because the voice, you know it's him, and you're on the edge of it. There's that tension there. Yeah. And you're scared for her. Mm-hmm. The prosthetics here, this is the first time you get to see it properly. Yeah, so this time oh. Christine pulls the mask off. It's not and just the, wig. the mask. She gets the wig, too. He looks like Schmeagle. <laughs> It's Schmeagel of the opera, and Christine is the precious. The hair, sure. Everything. Yeah. It's very Gollum. Well, we were saying when we were... Because this version, obviously, I've said it already, but from an audience perspective, when you're sat in the theatre, yeah. you can't see his prosthetic that close up. He's got his skull his, and the brains yeah, exposed. The, the prosthetic that they have on Ramin Karimlu in the 25th anniversary one is his... Head is almost completely bald with white wisps of hair coming off. And then the side of his face, he has this crater where you can see his skull and then part of his skull is missing and his brain is showing through and it's kind of horrifying. It is really horrifying, and but it's 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 a beautiful prosthetic. So you're looking at it and you think it's so I believe, I believe that was a real head. Like I know it's not, but you look at it and you believe it. I, I was really worried about the reveal. Family Guy, one of the lines of Family Guy that I remember is, show the gross part of your face. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, yeah. I was waiting for the reveal, and I was expecting the reveal to be awful. I really was expecting it to just look like really bad stage makeup. But, you know, they've tried the limited. It's not CGI. Yep. Oh, my God, it was brilliant. It's a really good aesthetic. How is it when when Gerard Butler wears it? Terrible. Is it really bad? Really, really bad. That's such a shame. Because on film you can do... I mean, this is it. It would have been... I don't know why they didn't just get the stage prosthetic and put it on Jared yeah. Butler because the one in the film, 
it just he has a slightly twisted lip and then sort of scars but it's like you know in avatar yes when that kid has the zuko mask on yes and it has the fake burn yeah that's what it's like oh, God. it's really bad if you've ever seen Avatar The Last Airbender and you're listening to this, you'll understand what I'm talking about. But yeah. it's just like a bad fake makeup. We've we've referenced so many different things We're for doing a Phantom really well of the Opera one. Yeah. Doctor Who, Avatar, Chicago Meds. Yeah. It's crazy. During the wedding, the Phantom of the Opera it really comes across unhinged. And he's doing this brilliant thing, just moving his knuckles and clicking them as he's talking to her. And you oh, yes, his hands. And... and this is the thing, is he's doing everything as a performer. It's just gold. And obviously, he's a fantastic performer. Like, you wouldn't be Phantom of the Opera at the Royal Albert Hall if you yeah. weren't. But... Oh, he's amazing. It's one of those things I always say to kids when I'm directing them, is, what are you doing with your hands? Yep. And nobody ever knows. No, it's, and it's, it's very hard. Small, you wouldn't see that in the theatre. Yeah. This is one of those amazing details that you see it so much more because it's magnified on film. Mm-hmm. He stood there, hunched over, moving his knuckles, and you really get this sense that Christine's in danger. Yeah, because he's if she's, unhinged. If, if she says no to marrying him, she could die. Yeah. You don't know what's going on here. You know he's not going to kill her because he's in love with her, mm-hmm. and she's not going to die because... We know that love never dies exists. Well, I wouldn't necessarily think because she's... I wouldn't think that because she's in the sequel. Because the sequel could be anyone. It could be he's infatuated with another singer. Mm. But I just think the way everything's coded with her being this pure virginal character. If you look at horror movies, she's the final girl, yeah. Yeah, she's the final girl. I knew she's never going to die. I thought the Phantom Phantom would. Yeah, you said that beforehand. I love... We'll talk about it in a minute, but, but I love his I, exit from the this show. Is that, that moment made me feel really, like... Scared. Scared for her. I didn't think he was going to do anything. That's brilliant from that from, from, from the actor. Yeah, um, and then Raoul comes to save her. <laughs> ignoring useless. all advice. Yeah, so the advice that Madame Giry gives to Raoul, she shows him how to get to the Phantoms there, and her one piece of advice is keep your hand at the level of your eye. Yeah. Meaning... Keep your hand in front of your face so that if he tries to throw his lasso around you and strangle you, it can't get your neck because your hand's in the way and you can then push it away. That is a self-defense technique. Like, and he immediately just forgets about everything. It's really bad. And yeah, he's he's all there to be hung, and he's 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 hung up. It's a cool effect. Very cool effect. And he, you know, you have the brilliant singing with the three of them. The Phantom says, choose. Yeah. Which is so powerful. And which then, Raoul, and I don't know whether I've ever noticed this before, but Christine is singing and she's trying to decide, and Raoul says a line that is essentially, if you choose him to save me, I'm still going to die because you won't be with me. Yeah. Which, that's not what she needs to hear right no. now. Just say yes, like, you want to live. And I will say, as much as I enjoy the song... It's very difficult to follow the plot Mm -hmm. when they're all singing over each other. Yeah, because there's a lot of screaming happening. Exactly, so it's very difficult to follow. So I kind of missed that bit. Yeah. But she gives him the kiss of a lifetime. Yep, twice. Probably his first kiss. Yeah. And she touches his face. Yes. And he lights a candle. Mm -hmm. He walks up. To Raoul. And and the candle and, and, and the noose hangs and drops brilliantly, which is yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's really cool. 
I was expecting a fight of some sort. I honestly, I didn't realise he was letting both of them go. Mm-hmm. I thought he was just going to let Edward go. Well, yeah. I honestly thought, and I turned to go, why is he not fighting him? He's free. Yeah. On equal footing. You were really mad that he wasn't trying to kill him. Because I thought he was just letting him go. No, he's, he's like, yeah. she's chosen me. And he lets them both go. For but reasons thing, I'm not quite sure. such a good shot of Christine kissing the phantom. And in the background, Raoul is doing, like, his mouth is in a perfectly straight line. Yeah. <laughs> he looks so upset. Christine, the reason that he lets both of them go, Christine shows him kindness. And he appreciates that, actually. She, yeah, she's just said to him in the song, any pity I might have felt for you, any tears I might have cried for you have now turned to tears of hate. And then he tr- immediately tries to kill Raoul and is like, no, you have to choose between us. Good luck with your hatred. And then she makes a last-ditch effort... To appeal to his humanity. Yeah, and she kisses him and then gives him a big hug and then kisses him again. And the second time, she touches the side of his face that is the deformed side. And he is looking at her thinking... This is why I love you. <laughs> this is why I love you, but also she looks so sad right now that I know even if she chose me, she wouldn't be choosing me. Yeah. She'd still be choosing him. Exactly. And I have to just get over it. And it was so yeah, lets them both go. You know, it's a nice ending. Mm-hmm. He's but she comes back. Yeah. To give the ring back, which, you know, nice. He's probably spent a lot of his... This is where the final bit of money that the producer <laughs> given him is on. He wears that ring for the whole show. Yeah. And he's been planning this. And he sits on what I assume is the throne that Andrew Lloyd Webber used for his BBC shows. 100% <laughs> Andrew Lloyd Webber's throne. I did think... As soon as he said that, I died laughing. I did so think funny. at this point that if the BBC are going to do another Andrew Lloyd Webber show... This is such a hard show to cast for. It would, but it would be a fun one to do. Yeah. And then you said that Phantom of the Opera, they've just done Dracula, why not do Phantom of the Opera? That, that could, you know, Phantom and would be a world. really fun miniseries. Yeah. Not necessarily They'd make it way too gritty. Yeah. Now, Meg. Yep. She's background through most of this. Sure. She's only there because her mum's who she is. And she's Christine's best friend. Yeah, but her character literally has n- no bearing on the story like honestly she seems like a non-factor she's in the book (laughs) she's just sort of here but in this she exists just to kind of give a sense that Christine isn't a stuck up ego who can't wait to progress from ensemble to lead she's there to she's still friends with all her ensemble people so her showing up and being the final visual we have is really weird now that magic trick with the the phantom disappears amazing right here's my thing I don't know how they do that trick and it really bothers me. And I'm sure it's really simple. And I know, I'm aware that he goes through the back of the chair. Because when he sits on the chair, the back of it's fabric and it's got a slit down the middle of it. And he obviously, like, shuffles himself backwards through the chair and then just sits there yeah. until that goes off stage. How do they get it to not, to stay in the same shape as him and still look like he's sitting in the chair? Yeah. But that's the fun of magic. It's amazing. It I is, love it. And it's a great Things feature. like that. I don't generally like magic, but that's really cool. Meg dresses as a boy to be able to come down, and that isn't clear in this version. No, it made no sense. She dresses up as a boy so that she can come in. I this was the sequel, because Meg is going to become the new Phantom of the Opera, and she's also in love with Christine. So in the sequel, Meg... <laughs> the sequel of the Phantom of the Opera is set in Coney Island, in America. 
What? And what? Yeah. The Phantom follows them from Paris. Is no, that... the Phantom moves from Paris to Coney Island without any of these characters. Like that's he's he's gone. Yeah. So the plot is not based on the books in any way. It's just Andrew Lloyd Webber. He decided he wanted it to be a standalone and then came up with it being a sequel. So the plot of it is Christine is invited to America for her American singing debut, which she wants... So it's a great showman. Yeah, they want her to sing at this place called The Phantasma, (laughs) which is in Coney Island. Which is notorious for the fairground attractions as well. Yeah. She takes Raoul, who she's married to, and their son... And they go to Brooklyn and they are completely unaware that the person that's invited her for her debut is the Phantom. Um, And it's just so strange. So the Phantom has decided, I'm going to leave you be because, you know, you've shown me kindness. And the Phantom, 10 years later, decides, actually, do you know what? No. I'm I'm still in love with this girl and I'm going to make a final play for her. That's just weird. But the other thing is, Meg is there. Because Why? Meg and Madame Giri work for the Phantom, and Meg is the headlining burlesque performer. That's a shift. At the show. And because Meg wants to curry favour from the Phantom, she sings this song about like how she she's she exists only for the Phantom, that's all she's here for. And that there's like suggestions that Meg has sort of become a prostitute as well, but that she wants to get with the Phantom, and it's all just so weird. And that's why like, it's legacy tarnishing. Everything you've said is kind of undoes all this good stuff. Yeah. Of of the creative team, so obviously we have Andrew Lloyd Webber, we have Cameron McIntosh, Charles Hart, and Richard Stilgo. Mm-hmm. Is Andrew Lloyd Webber the only one involved in? Love Will Never Die. Love Never Dies. Love Never Dies. From what I know, yes, but I'm sure Cameron McIntosh had some kind of input. I think this is the thing. He is a very talented musician. Mm-hmm. Left to his own devices, he's a nightmare. Oh my God, what is the plot of Love Never Dies? It's so weird. But this is the thing. Andrew Lloyd Webber needs someone to rein him in. Mm. Left, left to do whatever he wants, we get Starlight Express. Quite like Starlight Express, but it's never finished. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's his thing. You know, it's never finished. I'm sure someday we'll get. Love well, this Never is Dies. Love Never Dies already has two versions. But that's what I mean. He needs somebody to rein him in, or he needs a better source material to work with, not his own mind. Mm-hmm. You know, School of Rock is essentially the film. Now, there's a lot of creative differences between the the film and the show. But that's fine because well, he's working with sources. Even Cats, he's working with Cats is word source. for word, lyric-wise, word for word from Possum's yeah, book called Cats. And you can't really change Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat because it's Bible in the same way. It's Jesus Christ Superstar. It's Bible. You know, he needs somebody to more constraints because yeah. if creatively left to his own devices, we get love never dies. Device. So the ending, the ending I'm where disappointed May... by. I didn't get it. I didn't like it. There was no justice. No. He escapes. He He's a phantom. He's gone. Yeah, but... But what happens is Meg... So 
when Madame Giri tells Raoul how to get down there, yeah. Meg says, I'll come with you, sir. And Madame Giri's like, no, you're not going down there. Meg is supposed to be 16 or 17. Yeah. And in order to get down and see what's happening, because she's so intrigued, she's supposed to be more into what is happening with this fountain. And you don't really get it other than that she's scared of him. Yeah, but it's never like everyone else. else. No. Yeah. But so she wants to see what's down there. So she dresses up as a boy so that she can go with the search party because it's all men. Mm-hmm. She gets clothes from the like costume cupboard, dresses up as a boy, tucks her hair up into a cap and goes down with them. But because she also lives in this theatre, she gets down there before the search party does. And she crawls through the bars into his like area underneath the theatre and she's the one that finds the mask and she holds it up and I always took from that that she was going to take it so that there would never be a trace of him yeah to protect him because she's so in love with him as well but I quite like that I don't know it just didn't make sense to me and then I was just like wait who's the old man at the start which we talked about <laughs> Ralph. You know, yeah because we never sense. circle back around to that um, but yeah that's the Phantom of the Opera we get quite a nice yeah. encore Thank you um, to Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, which was really lovely. I was really, I was really pleased mm. that the rest of the creative company came out. You know, I was worried it would just be Andrew Lloyd Webber and no one no, else. They brought everyone. It was yeah. great. But they also they brought all the Phantoms. It's great to see Carl mm. Wilkinson, um, especially because I love Les Mis. Yep. You know, he he was the originator of Jean Valjean. Mm. So for me, that was really nice. Nice ending to it, you know, yeah. really good, thank you. We've got all these different people here to support mm. and let's get a few more songs with the original people. Like I can imagine if you were there, this would be me seeing Book of Mormon with Josh Gad and Andrew Jerry. Reynolds. Yeah. You know, that that for me it would be that experience of having them do Book of Mormon. Yeah, it was Especially great. if you didn't know that was happening, like final night and you're there and you're thinking, Oh wow. Yeah. And I do wonder whether they were told that in advance, because I couldn't find anything about that. I do love a good thank you after a show. I think it's yeah, it's really nice to get that closure. And it was really weird to hear Andrew Lodrover talking as well, because he's not as posh as you think. Yeah, he has quite... A, his accent is very London. Yeah. But, but he, he did such a good thank you to everyone, and he brought out the original London cast as well. But the whole London cast, the ensemble, everything... But the original one from the 80s, and that's amazing. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. No, before. you get a sense that he makes everyone feel like they matter, yeah. which is, which is and cool. He cares a lot about his creative team, clearly. Exactly. Yeah. Based um, on that. I was really worried, like I say, that it would just be him, but he brings them out and he says, give them these moments. And he mourns the people that were having yeah. the phantom, what it is, that and couldn't be, be there because they passed on. And I think that's really nice as well. Mm-hmm. You know, through the faults of storytelling we talked about today, you get a real sense he cares about the people he comes into contact with. Yeah. You know, I can't fault him. You know, I may not necessarily like every style, but I know he cares a lot about the arts. The fact that the School of Rock was free to perform for a period of time for schools yep. or amateur groups because the arts are important. And the fact that he's doing this series with Universal where yeah. it's free on YouTube. The the one that we've just watched is only on for twenty four hours because of copyright claims, I think. But am I right in thinking that next week was cats or that's what the rumour is that next week is cats or a beta. My point, yeah, is, point is it's he cares. He really he seems to be a genuinely nice person. Yeah. 
which I take every mum with a pinch of salt. And yeah, and I'll make jokes, but yeah, I think he's a cool guy. So I asked you this before we pressed record. Did you enjoy Phantom of the Opera? Because that's what I care about more than anything. Well, is I love this show. I mean, just like the drum beat before the solo drum beat before the Phantom goes to free Edward Cullen from yeah. his from his noose. Wow. Yeah. That heartbeat, that brilliant drum beat to build this tension. My favourite song, my MVP. Oh. Um, don't say that. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't know whether you liked it or not. I thought all the songs were great. Yeah. I, I really liked them. Some of them went a little long. Mm-hmm. You know, the Music Phantom. The night. Yeah. You know, obviously my answer is the Phantom of the Opera. Is your favourite song? Because it's just, it's iconic and it's great to see it performed. And I love, like, the bit where he comes out rowing and sing for me. Yeah. It's great. However, the song that I didn't know, you know, so that is my MVP. Yeah. That's my best song. But the song that I didn't know is Notes. I thought that was really fun. That Notes, that song's really good. It was very, very, very fun. MVP is is Christine and the Phantom. They were both absolutely brilliant actors. Every time they were on, their chemistry with each other was great. You really got a sense of fear from Christine. Like Sierra Burgess is an She was actress. brilliant. The range of emotions she showed, and, and as as the villain as well as the Phantom, like mm-hmm. excellent portrayal. It's very interesting to. I've seen three different actors play the Phantom, and Ramin Karimlu, obviously being the one in the film, is the most sympathetic Phantom I've ever seen. Because he is so sad all the way through. And I think, like, his phantom is, like, sad boy phantom. But I've seen angry phantom, and it changes it a lot. Yeah. Well, no, I can imagine. The actor, the way that the actor interprets the phantom really changes how you feel about him. But I also think the way the actor playing Christine represents her changes your portrayal of the phantom. If you have a Christine that isn't sympathetic to him, yeah, maybe that changes your view of him. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot with their dynamic, and I think it's only as successful because they both done as amazing a job as as they did. Mm. I gave it four stars out of five. Yay! I'm so glad. I, <laughs> I'm really glad you liked it. I think the spectacle of it is amazing. Yeah. You know the transitions from scene to scene, the sets, the costumes were fantastic. The the acting was amazing. I do think that it's too long. It is a long show. I'm just really and glad even, you liked it. And even then, it being long, it's not long and we're getting all the characters the necessary depth, mm-hmm. which is a shame. I don't want the depth for Carlotta. She's she's a joke. Yeah, know, she doesn't need depth. But if Meg is supposed to be so important and and Raoul, Raoul is so important, why are they not more fleshed out yeah. as opposed to just Compared archetypes. to Christine and the Phantom, because arguably Raoul is the third main character... Yeah. They're a love triangle. Yeah. He has no personality. No, that's exactly it. He's he exists solely to be to save her. An obstacle. Well not even save he's he, Well she thinks he exists yeah, to save her. But he's an obstacle in the Phantom's pursuit of her. Yeah. And I could do with them getting some more depth and development. And I think that's ultimately what stops it being a five star is like for me, mm. all that's missed out is a little bit more development and well, maybe we'll watch the film sometime. I'll tell you what, I do think, obviously, yes, I've now seen Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. I think a follow-up, kind of, not as long, but kind of a special episode 
somewhere down the line where we look at Phantom of the Opera, the 2004 film, yeah. and we just discuss how it translates from, you know, stage to screen would be really interesting. I think we should watch Phantom of the Megaplex. Better than Joseph. You can see that Andrew Lloyd Webber is more seasoned. He's grown, yeah. This also is a labour of love for him. This is the show that I think he poured the most of himself into. But then again, like you said to me before, this is the one that there's potentially more of Andrew Lloyd Webber as the not struggling artist, but maybe the not recognised artist. This might be more of a personal thing for him. Mm -hmm. You know, I really enjoyed it. Good. So, this is our fourth episode. Mm -hmm. Tell me, what are we doing next time we hit the air? So, next time we are going to be looking at My Fair Lady. And if I'm right in thinking, this will be the furthest back into musical theatre history that we've gone so far. Yeah, this will be the oldest musical we've looked at. Joseph was the 60s, so My Fair Lady predates Joseph. Yeah. So that'll be really interesting. This will be one of our older ones that we've looked at. Mm -hmm. My Fair Lady is older than Joseph, and it is based on a book. Joseph's based on a book? Mm. Maybe a little bit older book as well. In a different way. (laughs) So I'm very excited about that. I'm going to go into our first classical one. You know, we've done Sondheim. We've done Andrew Lloyd Webber. We've looked at Mm. Disney. You know, I think they're kind of... This, this is also our first English musical. Is it really? Yeah. Joseph's American, Into the Woods is American. Or like setting-wise. Yeah. Joseph is set in... Biblical times. Israel, I believe. <laughs> Biblical Egypt. times, yeah. And then Into the Woods is American. Everyone in it's American. James Corden's British. Emily Blunt's British. James Corden and Emily Blunt live in America. So in that film, everyone else is American. Muses is American. This is French. Yeah. <laughs> that so would be very, very interesting. Job. Yeah. And it will be the oldest one we've done. Yeah. So our first. And it will also be my mum's favourite episode because she loves my family. I have to get her on. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget to like us on Twitter, Instagram, drop us an email. It's a musical pod yep. at gmail.com it's a musical pod for twitter and instagram you can find us on spotify usually launches a few days after we post it up on podbean mm-hmm. but Stitcher, for updates follow soundcloud us on everything. follow us on everything okay so until you join us next time have a wonderful musical monday